Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hi, you're listening to Great Women in Compliance on the Compliance Podcast Network with Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine. Today's episode is also being sponsored by Corporate Compliance Insights, one of our other sponsors and where we have a landing page. Um, I'm really excited today because I'm speaking with Danette Jocelyn-Gall, who is the VP of Global Compliance at Pearson Education and also the Associate General Counsel. She's also my boss as of April of this year. Um, And just as a part of the story, when I started interviewing, I saw that both Danette and the Pearson team were shortlisted for the Women in Compliance Awards, and that was a really significant thing to me. Um, And as I first met her, my first thought is, I really hope I get the opportunity to work with this woman. Um, And in the last four months, I've learned a ton from Danette, both from her approach to compliance and her approach to leading our team. So thank you so much um, for the opportunities and um, to, to joining me on the podcast. I, I've been really excited about this. Lisa, I, I'm just number one. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. And likewise, I will say the fact that you were doing this podcast and had that kind of initiative was one of the reasons why I thought you would be a wonderful addition to our team and you have been. So I'm, I'm really excited to have you as part of the team. And thank you for the opportunity. And I'm honored that you want to interview me. Well, thank you. As you can see, it's been a really excellent four months for me So, um, with, with this opportunity. Um, so let me just start, too, by you talking a little bit about your background and how you actually got into compliance. Sure. I have a, kind of a, a, a unique background, I think, in some respects. Um, and I sort of think of myself as having three real careers in my life um, before actually getting into the role of compliance. I started out of law school really in the um, short stint in litigation. And then I had the opportunity to go work for the governor of our state. And I was deputy general counsel and then general counsel to the governor. And that really got me interested in a way I hadn't thought about before in policy development, more kind of big picture policy, not little P policy. But I got uh, the opportunity in those roles to really sink my teeth into notions of things that might be a little bit broader than law um, that impacted the state. And I really was interested and involved in that. And I also did some lobbying of the governor's initiatives. Um, At the end of my stint as deputy counsel and executive counsel, when he left um, at the end of his administration, I became the lead lobbyist for Emory University on everything on the state level. Um, And in that capacity, I had my first real foray foray into program development because I had an opportunity with the Attorney General tobacco settlement of many years ago now. Um, There was a bit of seed funding that was available for cancer prevention, detection, research, and treatment. And a small group of us got together and developed uh, a program um, which became the Georgia Cancer Coalition really looking at those four spaces and the opportunity of funding in the state. So I had a chance um, to really develop a program, which I had not done before. Um, I then went into uh, a role with the Georgia Technology Authority as their general counsel and continued my work with the Cancer Coalition. And then the politics of the, ch- of the state changed pretty dramatically. Um, and I couldn't be in that close to political role anymore. So I became a litigator again and was a commercial litigator for over a decade. Um, 
and really got involved in investigations there. It was a labor and employment defense firm, uh, got involved in commercial litigation and became a partner there until I was contacted by someone I had worked for years before with the state who suggested I come work at Pearson. Um, so I left that. I was excited about the opportunity to go into an educational space and just do something different. And so I've been at Pearson now a little over five years. Uh, different roles within Pearson, in, in, first in sales, strangely enough, and then I came into the legal function. And I got into compliance uh, kind of because someone very high up in the organization suggested it to me. And I, and I think I mentioned to you as we were talking about this that my first reaction was, you know, I, I don't want to be approving lunches all day. I really didn't know what compliance was. Um, so I learned more about it. I'm delighted that I, that I you know, took the leap and applied and got the role. It's been a really wonderful experience for me. Yeah, um, it's, it, it has been, and it, I mean, a lot of different things and a lot of changes over the last, I think, two years since you've been in that role. Um, but one of the things that I remember was that, is that one of your largest projects that you even talked about from the beginning was a, a global third-party due diligence project, which I now know obviously more about, but it was remarkable both in sort of scope and thoroughness. Um, and it turned into a world tour. Um, can you talk about you know, how you identified that as a concern and then you know, um, the next steps you took? Sure. Um, you know, when I took this role, um, it was uh, the first time two real functions had been merged. There'd been kind of a legal compliance space and a finance compliance space. Um, and I, I was the, the leader of those two teams coming together. And I was learning about um, compliance in this kind of grand space when I, myself. Um, and so I remember taking a look at just the different elements of a compliance program and just going through my head and saying, okay, you know, if I, if I were asked, could I tick off these boxes in this way? And there was one space that I had the most concern about. And that was around third-party due diligence. And about six weeks after I, I took the role, I had my first meeting with our audit committee. And it was also my first time speaking to a board uh, in, this, in this role. Um, and so I, I remember saying, you know, I just have, you know, I think maybe this is a little bit of a challenge for us. And they said, well, whatever it is, you need to fix it. And you need to come back to us in about six weeks with a plan. So th that, number one, was terrifying. But on the other hand, it was a great opportunity because it allowed me to really think through and put together a fantastic program, which was really backed by the audit committee, um, backed by the board, backed by our CEO, CFO, and general counsel, and was almost in some respects the perfect way to really push something forward because I had all of the tone from the top and sufficient support and everything else that was necessary for us to make that happen. So I've worked with, um, actually, I worked with Spark Consulting uh, with Christy Grand Hart, who was just phenomenal, a phenomenal partner in this. Developed, I will just mention, she has also been on this podcast for Great Women in Compliance. So, Well, she is definitely a great woman in compliance. Um, and she was fabulous. And a member of my team, Sarah Powell, who was also fabulous in this, um, really helped sort of figure out what the program should look like. And then we decided that we needed to go to places physically um, for, for some reasons in terms of implementation. So it turned out that I wound up going to 11 countries in about a four or five month period of time. And really in the last, I'd say, 18 months, the, the net result of all of it is that we have 
evaluated over 30,000 third parties as part of our program. Um, we're almost finished with the global rollout, and I'm really proud of the work that we've done. So um, it was a scary moment in time that actually wound up working really well for, I think, for all of us. Um, and I really feel good about where we are. Yeah. And I mean, I think now that it, it being that first big project and the experience you had, what lessons did you learn from that? And going forward, what do you see as key areas of concern and next steps? Well, the first good lesson from that is when you speak to an audit committee, it, it's always good to, if you have an issue, to know how you propose to resolve it before you raise it as an issue with them. Um, so I have a great, we have a great and very active and involved and interested in board and compliance, which is a huge lesson and important to, to have, I think, um, in terms of developing an effective compliance program. Having the tone at the top uh, is critical. And for something of this size, having, I think, having the physical proximity, the fact that I went, I personally went um, before rolling this out to these various markets made a huge difference as opposed to a conference call, really as opposed to sending someone else with something this big that I was willing to, to travel myself and sort of, you know, put a stake in the ground about it as well made a big difference. So the, the tone from the top, the fact that our general counsel and our CFO pre-communicated this out to the markets and made them made folks realize not only is this something they not want you to do, but we want you to do it, the board wants you to do it, this needs to happen, all of that really helped. Um, and then just having, I think, the, the right mix of, um, you know, we had great uh, consultants and partners supporting us through this um, and a good vendor who worked with us. So I think you know, it has, it's certainly not perfect. Um, I still, you know, I worry about things as one would in this role all the time, but I, I, I think that um, it went about as well of a rollout as it could. So those were the things that I would primarily uh, recommend for something like this. And um, going forward after we, you know, move forward on this project and these other things, um, you know, what, what's next? What do you see next on the horizon? Um, where you're going to have the plan for the audit committee or other things for compliance for professionals generally, you know, sometimes. I think that uh, for me, the, the big thing um, is really around the DOJ guidance that came out this year and the Treasury guidance on sanctions and really what, what, what they mean and what that does for us in terms of um, developing our programs. So, you know, looking at where we, where we are in light of the, fairly specific guidance that's been provided is, is a challenge I wasn't expecting us to have this year, but it's also really helpful as a good roadmap and guidepost to help us figure out what, what, you know, what an acceptable compliance program is. So thinking through those things is really important. Obviously in the bribery and corruption space, um, the continuing development of laws around the world that are similar to the US and the UK in many respects, but certainly bring heightened awareness to some of these concerns uh, in places other than the US and the UK. So that's always something that's, that's on mine. And I think just kind of, you know, something I've been thinking a lot about recently is the, this whole concept of, of ethical, um, of the ethics piece of the compliance space. And also how that really ties into organizational health and just sort of well-being. Um, and the fact that we're also inundated with information um, and stresses, just how we, how we manage all of that 
uh, in a focused and, and healthy way, emotionally and physically. So I also think just trying to trying to focus and make sure that we don't overwhelm ourselves with uh, the amount of information and responsibilities we have is another challenge for compliance professionals. Uh, I'm really pleased that there's someone who I have, um, who I went to college with actually, and who was a roommate of mine my first year of law school, who is, uh, has a PhD in organizational psychology. And frankly, at the time she was getting it, you know, many years ago, I didn't understand what that meant. And I, um, I understand it more now. And she is actually going to be the new, I guess, first lady at Georgia Tech. Uh, her name is Beth Cabrera. And she is a scholar at George Mason right now. So she, I've been reading a lot about Beth, you know, a lot of things that Beth Cabrera has put out, which are really helpful guideposts for, um, for those kinds of issues, which I think are equally important in compliance. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot about the ethics side of it, um, organizational development less, but I definitely, since I started and working with you, I always think about ethics and compliance, and I think a lot about how people want to do the right thing. How can we help them from a compliance standpoint to understand what they need to do and how to do it? And I do think that, you know, it really ties together so well. Um, yeah, I do, I do too. And, and I think that sometimes that's where it's an interesting challenge sometimes with a, a true legal hat. I mean, we all as lawyers are interested in being, um, in being ethical, but it's a different perspective on who the client is when you're talking about it from a compliance perspective, you know, or what, what does it mean to have a quote client? Um, and so I think that the issue of ethics in the compliance space is a really interesting one and how we manage that um, in a company. Yeah, absolutely. Now, changing the topic a little bit, from when you started at Pearson, um, you worked remotely from your home. Jeanette is based in Atlanta. Um, is, that was the first time you had a remote work situation, and how have you been able to make it work? Um, I, I was fortunate when I, took the, when I first came to Pearson that I had the opportunity to go and meet a lot of people. I was invited to some meetings pretty early that were in different places where there were a lot of individuals. So I think that really helped me. I think I would have felt much more isolated if not only was I working remotely, but I didn't have a chance to really interact with people and get to a feel of the company from the outset. So I had that um, going for me. And I, you know, I, I, I've thought about the, the answer to this question. And I think that um, really it, it continues to be a challenge. I mean, the thing about my company, our company, is that there isn't, uh, there isn't one space um, really that makes sense. And when you're talking about a global compliance role, it's not like we're all, we have a, pr a team that's pretty geographically uh, dispersed anyway. Um, but I think the main thing for me is that I have some touch points periodically where I do go places and that I try to set up some time and, and have some moments in time and talking to people that aren't just business focused because it's very easy to just crank through your meetings during the course of the day and realize you really haven't had any kind of personal <laughs> connection um, <laughs> even during the course because, you know, you immediately get on a call and start talking work. So I try to put that in the process a bit so that I can um, learn more. But I was concerned in taking this role that, that maybe it would, would be a challenge because either it would mean that I, I, you know, would be too disconnected from the team or too disconnected from the business or something. And, you know, I think somehow we've, we've, we've all managed to make it work. Uh, I do wonder if I get, get all the scuttlebutt that other people get who are in offices, but I, I try to keep my ear to the, 
uh, virtual realm as much as I can. Yeah, I, and, and one thing, just you know, as you know, I, I live in Washington, D.C., and having when I started, that was one of my concerns at first, but then I found out there was a D.C. office. But I will say you are very aware of the, the scuttlebutt, and I will say that Pearson, as a company, works very well remotely, as our team is pretty remote, but I think we all have good relationships and are able to work past that. I think it's partially the company culture, but I think it's also partially the way people are um, you know, able to work. But I have, I have, it was one of those things that for me was a bit of an initial, you know, how will this work? And it turns out to work very well with the company as a whole. I, I mean, I often don't know where people are. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I actually think that's one, of, one thing that is becoming increasingly important also when you're talking about hiring younger workers, you know, millennials, you know, Generation Z, et cetera, folks. Just for them, I think it's an important um, an important asset, an important benefit to be able to pretty much work from wherever you need to work um, and have the trust and the faith that, that the work will get done. And that's really been, it's been a great asset for me too, as a, as a working mother to be able to do this has been fantastic. Well, I mean, that's a perfect segue to, you know, talking about women either in compliance or in business or in this space, you know, what thoughts have you had on that for advice you'd want to give for people who want to start out or move to compliance or, you know, people who are just starting out in their career, women in this space? I think that just, um, you know, the the notion of stretching yourself into this space, if you haven't done it before, um, and I've done a fair amount of reading lately on just the whole notion of women you know, sometimes needing a push to raise their hand for roles that may may not seem like the natural next step for them or their natural fit. Um, I would encourage you to to take it and to do it. Um, I, I think that it's a, it's really a fascinating space, and it, and for me, I've had very very few roles that have have challenged me in every possible way. It's broader than you know, your typical legal job, although there's a lot of law in it. Um, it does have a lot of um, HR components to it, which I find really interesting. Um, you know, sort of the, the whole notion of well-being, as I discussed, I think is part of it. Ethics is part of it. Um, you know, finance is part of it. It really does. And it gives you an opportunity to get a holistic view of a company in a way that I think most in-house counsel jobs, unless you're general counsel, um, don't give you. Uh, you really get to learn a lot, a lot of details about the business. And so that's been fascinating. Um, and so I would encourage encourage people just to somehow get into the space if you're not. And then if you, if you are in the space, you know, try to uh, encourage yourself that even if you don't think you have every single aspect of the background necessary to take the leap and try it. Um, it's been a great experience. It's been a great experience for me professionally. Um, and developmentally, I think just the growth it's offered to me has been wonderful. That's great. Is there anything else that you would want to share with the audience um, before we go? Um, anything else you've been thinking about or that's on your mind in the compliance world or the women in business world? You know, I think that the, the only other thing that I would just really want to highlight is, um, is the importance of and one of the great things that I've learned about compliance, and it's it's wonderful because it's the title of your podcast, is how many fabulous women there are in this. I mean, there are wonderful people in this space. But I have to say the support and the community um, in compliance is really remarkable. I, I don't know that I've ever experienced anything like it. 
Um, I, I don't think I'm, I'm not as well connected to the legal community as I am at this point to the compliance community. It's just a wonderfully supportive group uh, of women and men, but I've been particularly impressed with the, um, the collaboration and support of women. And that just really, and just how, how many fabulous women there are doing great things. And um, so I'm just, I'm proud of this space and really, really excited that I've had the opportunity to really meet a lot of wonderful women doing amazing work, you know, and, and work that's really for the common good. So um, it's work that you feel good about at the end of the day, which is great too. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, while I was preparing for this, we talked, um, and I also was looking at some different research about teams, what works and what doesn't. And I saw this article from Deloitte and it resonated because one of the quotes was that, um, the most, that, um, the distinction between high and lower performing teams, um, is really only has a very small group of items. And the most powerful one at that is at work, I have the opportunity to do what I do best every day. Um, and when I thought about that a lot because I've thought about our team and the legal, larger legal team at Pearson, um, and we are given the opportunity to do that. And as uh, our, our general counsel chief legal officer said, given the opportunity to, to learn from what we do in mistakes. And I wanted to thank you for that and that opportunity, because I do think that as a woman leader, you do an excellent job on that. Um, and I think for those listening, I think that's one lesson I've thought about a lot in the last several months. Um, and hope I could share with the, the group as well. So thank you for that. And thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. That's just such a wonderful thing. And I hope that you realize that separate and apart from the fact that you've just complimented me through this entire podcast, I do think you're fabulous. And independently of any compliments you give, I'll just do that little legal di disclaimer. What a great job you're doing for the team. And, I, and we're just so thrilled and thankful that you're part of it. I did not ask her to do that for me, for anyone listening, but I tell you, I appreciate it very much. Um, and I will say one last thing, that that is a lesson about jobs, managers, and people you work with. For anybody listening, when you, you're looking and thinking about the right things and, and the leaders you work with make a tremendous difference. And with that, I will thank everyone for listening. Thank you again for joining us. And on behalf of Mary Shirley, me, um, Corporate Compliance Insights, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.